0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we'll be breaking down all 16 Week 3 matches with a focus on providing you all with some actionable fantasy football takeaways. Hope everyone had a great time watching football despite all his injuries in Week 2, but we are on to Week 3. So, joining me today, you've probably heard him a couple times already if you've been checking out this podcast, but PFF's own Andrew Erickson. Andrew, how's it going, man?
1: i'm doing good man i didn't get hurt this weekend so that's always a positive and you know most of my fantasy teams made it through i was on team draft ezekiel elliott at number two so that's looking pretty smart right now a little mini victory lap but yeah that's how i'm doing
0: I did get injured last week. I can't stop sliding in softball games. And I realize as an adult, you got to stop doing these things, particularly when you're wearing shorts and not pants. But you know what? You get in that moment, it comes down to being out or safe. I am going to try to be safe every single time. But enough of that talk. We're going to go through all 16 games. I'm going to list the matchup spread and game total. And Andrew and I are going to rotate, giving a fancy take, and we'll move on uh, to the next one. Obviously, there's still plenty of time throughout the week to more fully form our opinions. But, you know, it's a good way. Get familiar uh, with some of the matchups. Top fantasy spots, and I'm trying to keep this as evergreen as possible up until Sunday. So starting off with an electric Thursday night matchup: Dolphins at Jaguars. Opened as a pick 'em. Jaguars now up to two and a half point favorites. The over/under is up from 44 to 47 and a half. I think this is going to be Devonte Parker's 2020 coming out party. He's had a really uh, rough start to the season. He had the Patriots in Week One, Tre'Davious White in the Bills in Week Two. That Bills game was also just pouring down rain for most of it. Amazing Josh Allen was able to do uh, the stuff he did in. That weather but you know you look at Parker and he had the mid game injury in week one but week two goes ahead goes ahead and plays 88% of the offensive snaps look it out there caught five of eight targets fit three, fit three yards and a score uh, from what my knowledge it seems like Ryan Fitzpatrick still the guy in your center doesn't even appear to have particularly short leash I mean he played well out there last week 300 yards uh, 300 plus yards and two scores I know a lot of it was in garbage time but they seem perfectly content with letting Fitz still be that guy he's one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen feed Devontae Parker enable him Uh, He remains the outright number one wide receiver in this offense, you know, credit to Mike to on the big game last week. But I think this time next week, we're going to be talking about Parker as the rightful top 20 fantasy receiver that he should be ranked as moving forward. Andrew talking about the Jaguars in there, you know, I guess they are home. And then just they, to me, like when I think of Thursday night football, I think of the Jaguars. So even if we didn't get Jaguars Titans, I'm happy that we have the Jaguars on Thursday night football.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely bummed out that we have the Jaguars-Titans flex to a Sunday night, you know, 1 o'clock Eastern time slate. So that was a little bit disappointing. But again, like you mentioned, we got Dolphins-Jaguars coming up on Thursday night. And it starts at the quarterback position. I mean, Ian, correct me if I'm wrong, but Minchu just seems like a guy that is going to thrive on Thursday. I mean, Thursday, for of course. He just seems like a guy that's going to do well. And the matchup is shaping up to be that. The Dolphins have not been good against quarterbacks. They got destroyed by Cam Newton. They got destroyed by Josh Allen and I don't see why Minshew wouldn't continue that trend he's already been a really great quarterback so far in fantasy he's been a top 12 guy for the first two weeks of the year you have Byron Jones who's banged up so we could finally see DJ Chark you know actually have a legitimate game after he's kind of seen middling production for the first two weeks so I absolutely love Gardner Minshew in this matchup I think that he has the potential to be you know a top 10 quarterback this week Yes,
0: sir. I do have him ranked as my QB 12 on the week. He's been a QB one. You got to start treating him as a QB one. Next up, Texans, that's Steelers. Uh, Steelers opened up as six-point favorites, but that's down to four points. People giving the Texans a little bit more respect after that just hellacious start of the season that continues in this spot. Over-under has been steady at 45. I just want people to realize that like what David Johnson is doing in this backfield right now, and that's taking the whole damn thing completely over because Duke Johnson missed the first game of his career last week. Uh, with his knee injury you know we'll see if he's back uh, to, ready to go in week three or not but either way this is the david johnson show 95 percent snaps last week now the touches weren't there 11 carries four targets weird game with the ravens you know keeping a lot of that time in possession just not really letting the texans get much of anything going but cj precise didn't even have a touch only five percent snaps wasn't even involved until very late in the game so you know david johnson even when he's been healthy over the last few years he wasn't breaking that many tackles but we're seeing him show that looseness out there and even in that game last Week. he didn't put the numbers up but you know was a better ball away on a wheel route from having a nice little receiving score on his resume so we're not seeing the eight to 10 targets per game that you know maybe we'd be hoping for in a different offense but that's just not qu- the type of quarterback that the Sean Watson necessarily is this is a tough spot but man oh man if you're out there and you know you you don't have these Texans players on your squad and the owners or the fancy managers are getting you know a little bit uh impatient about the breakout coming we got the Steelers game this week but after that we we get the Vikings, the Jaguars, the Titans, the Packers, the Jaguars again, and the Browns. And then we're in mid November, man. So Deshaun Watson and company, they're going to put up points at some point, And David Johnson is a big part of that. He's going to be a borderline RB one, if not higher, I think from week four on Andrew one thoughts on David Johnson. And am I talking crazy or are you believing in him? And two, hit me with some Steelers info.
1: Yeah. David Johnson has looked really good for the past couple of weeks and he's getting a lot of the usage. So I mean, it's surprising to talk about all the injuries and to see guys like David Johnson and Jordan Reed, you know, make it through week two unscathed. So we're hoping that, hey, hopefully Will Fuller can come back and he can take advantage of oh. that really easy schedule. So maybe they just keep him out. That'd be great. You don't have to play him in, in a tough matchup anyway. So let's just, you know, hold him aside and play Will Fuller during down the stretch. Boom. With the Steelers, so Deontay Johnson is the talk of the town. He's been... You know, leading the Steelers in targets, 21 versus 14, Juju. And those are really the top two guys. I mean, that's all that Ben is really looking for. Obviously, Chase Claypool is making the most out of his limited opportunities. But, I mean, Deontay Johnson, you know, looking back, seeing that he was going in the seventh round of drafts, it just seems like an absolute steal if you were to get him there. And I am going out aggressively trying to target this guy wherever I can because— it's going to be too late before you can't ever get them at all in, in trades. And the matchup against the Houston Texans, I think, is not... It doesn't look that great on paper when you look at, you know, fantasy points against because the Ravens didn't really impress that well against them last week. But Lamar Jackson only attempted 24 passing attempts. The Steelers throw way more than that. They're north of 35-plus passing attempts per game. And like I mentioned, Big Ben just throws it to Juju and he throws it to Deontay. And everyone else kind of just gets the scraps. And you look at the Houston Texans secondary, you got Vernon Hargraves, Bradley Roby, a bunch of guys that aren't going to be able to stop Deontay Johnson. Both those guys, PFF coverage grade outside the top 40. It's just, it's going to be, you know, pants off for Deontay Johnson. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: He had a uh, also had a punt return touchdown nullified by a pretty iffy uh, penalty, in my opinion. I'm, I, I'm always team. Let, let the boys play out there. I kind of bark about any penalty. But this one truly was questionable. Deontay made about three or four guys miss on his way to the end zone. So check that one out uh, if you didn't see it live. Uh, moving on, Titans at Vikings. This one opened as a pick Titans are now favored by two and a half points. The over-under has moved up from 45 and a half to 47. At, you know, we're talking about Gardner Minshew and how we just got to accept that this guy is the fantasy QB. One that he's been more weeks than not over the last, uh, you know, year plus two weeks. Ryan Tannehill is the same way. This dude had, by my count, just four of the nicest passes of the week uh, in the entire week, too. I mean, it was awesome. He had this one touchdown to Adam Humphreys where he just got completely walloped, stood tall in the pocket, and put the ball right where it needed to be anyway. And he did it last week, without his number one receiver and uh, A.J. Brown. So, you know, still more than enough talent to go around this offense. I know they're a run-first unit. We saw the pass attempts, you know, go from over 40 in week one back to a more, you know, realistic kind of mid-20 count uh, in that week two game against the Jags. But look, through two weeks, Tannehill is PFF's seventh highest graded passer. He's only got a 7.2-yard A dotting. He's not the same sort of downfield gunslinger we saw last year, but he's getting it done. He's my QB 15 going into this matchup, and DFS particularly. like Don't discount while A.J. Brown is out the ability for Tannehill to enable Johnny Smith Corey Davis in a condensed target share against a Vikings secondary that just hasn't even looked capable of slowing down anyone uh, to this point. So hopefully AJ Brown gets healthy, but if not, might be a DFS opportunity to stack this passing game this week. Andrew, what do you got on the Vikings?
1: Yeah, the Vikings are not nearly as thrilling to talk about as the Tennessee Titans. It was really disappointing how they played last week. Kirk Cousins was awful, atrocious. He scored negative fantasy points, which is you know, that would, that's Baker Mayfield territory from last year, negative fantasy points. So it's never that's not really anything good you want to talk about. But I think that they're in for a bounce-back effort, at least enough to support Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen, because you're not really looking to target. This offense isn't prolific enough to support any of these, you know, Justin Jeffersons or any of these tight ends. So you can't get any action from those guys. But Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen, I expect them to bounce back in a way Part of the reason is because the Titans don't rush the passer nearly as well as what they saw last week with Kirk cousins. He was atrocious last week. He got run over by the Colts front. So I expect the Titans or I expect the Vikings, excuse me, to bounce back.
0: Yeah. And that's, and it's Kirk cousins and Baker Mayfield who's now got Kevin Stefanski calling his place. Same problem from a fancy perspective. Just, limited volume, they need to be world beaters with their passing efficiency because there's no rushing floor. It's just not the situations that we should be looking to target in fantasy. All right, Bears at Falcons. we got Atlanta opening up as 3.5 point favorites. That is holding steady. The over-under of 48 has dropped to 47.5, but more or less the same as we saw uh, opening up. So I'm a little worried that this game could be bad game script for uh, Dave Montgomery. If the Bears 0-2 start proves to be a little fraudulent and we see the Falcons get up early, you know it's going to be more of a Tariq Cohen, even Cordero Patterson and a game script for that backfield, but if the Bears can just stay in this one, I think Montgomery can continue to be, you know, pretty much anyone's idea of a weekly, uh, almost upside RB2. This guy's looked great this season, even last week. I understand I was against the Giants and it went well, but even going back to week one, the dude ripped off several nice runs. He's looked healthy and he's been breaking tackles and he got just so widely mocked because, you know, all the hype going to last year was we had that one ridiculous graphic comparing him to like Saquon Barkley and Zeke and all these NFL pros and then we also had just the all-time great PFF tackle breaking metrics from his time at Iowa State. Look, 2019 didn't go well, but we're living in 2020 now, people, and David Montgomery through two weeks is 11th among 53 qualified backs in yards after contact per rush. He's 11th in our PFF rushing grade, and he's 8th in missed force tackles per touch. The guy's looking shifty out there. He had an awesome touchdown catch last week where he cut back across the grain, made a few guys miss. He's looking like the running back we wanted him to be last year. I think people are still kind of holding on to their 2019 opinions a little bit too much. If the Bears can play in neutral to positive game script, Montgomery is going to flirt with RB2 production more weeks than not at 5,700, 5,700 on DraftKings. I love taking a shot on him this week and hoping that the Bears can stay in this game. Game. Andrew, what do you got on the Falcons?
1: Atlanta Falcons, man. It's a shootout after shootout with these, with this team. I absolutely love it. And that's probably what's going to happen again. They're going to push the ball. Mr. Mr. Trubisky at least shows that he's capable of keeping, you know, his team in the game. And that's part of the reason why Tariq Cohen doesn't get any playing time because they're not losing by 21 points. So that's what happens. If you pay a, a pass catching running back so much money, but I digress. So Russell Gage, you know, hot waiver wire addition. He's, he's seen 20 targets over the past two weeks, 80 yards per game, 79% of the snaps out of the slot. The last two teams that the Bears have faced, slot receivers Amandola and Golden Tate, both had five receptions. So I think Russell Gage is a really good option for the Falcons. And then speaking of you know, more of the wide receivers, Julio Jones, again, absolutely atrocious game last week. Dropped a, a surefire touchdown on from Russell Gage, you know, who was, you know, looking back at his Mohamed Sanu Trying to mimic him the best he could. But I looked into the data a little bit with Jones and I looked at the games following games where he had two or fewer receptions. And his following stat lines are eight for 106 and two, five for 98, seven for 139 and one, and six for 115 yards. So Julio Jones. He's going to bounce back, guys. Don't freak out. If you want to go trade for this guy right now, I would definitely do it. I'd set out offers. People are thinking, hey, Calvin Ridley's the number one. It's Chris Godwin, Mike Evans all over again. Why did I draft Julio Jones in the second round? Uh, go get Julio Jones because he's going to bounce back.
0: Yeah, just keep an eye on that injury report. He was looking a little bit gimpy out there, but I agree. We do not see a talent like Julio stay quiet for very long. And, yeah, what a dime from Gage. Uh, Leads you to the question, you know, was Muhammad Sanu a system quarterback or not during his days with the Falcons? (laughs) Uh, 49ers at Giants. The 49ers opened at 6.5, but we're seeing them go down to 4.5 with the news that Jimmy Garoppolo's looking iffy. You know, they lost Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas. So, league's best defensive line is now all of a sudden down Three of their top guys, if you include DeForest Buckner, you know, now being a member of the Colts. Uh, not looking great. Not looking great for the San Francisco 49ers, and it's also that way in their backfield. So right now, with Debo Samuel out, with, uh, you know, Tevin Coleman out, and with Raheem Mostert seemingly out, who's the number one playmaker on this offense? Because I think it is uh, Mr. Jared McKinnon who has looked absolutely great this season. And I don't think they are going to be hesitant about using this guy I mean McKinnon has already been out there on kick returns I think if there was concern about keeping him healthy and you know limiting his amount of uh, potential injury touches I mean kickoffs would not be a situation you would have him on and all he's done with the offensive snaps he's had is make plays six carries 101 yards in a score three catches 20 yards in a score he had that hilarious like 55 yard run on third and 31 to pick it up and okay maybe the Jets just didn't see that one coming and that's inflating things here a little bit but you know you got to have some giddy up to run 55 yards he doesn't Look like a player that just missed the last two seasons due to injury, and that's what Kyle Shanahan said throughout training camp about how healthy he looked and what the beat writers were saying. So this is a situation where, okay, I think Jeff Wilson, Andrew Michael Hasty, who they're going to call up, are going to be involved. I don't see you know McKinnon playing 80% of the snaps. I think it's going to be closer to 50, but. They don't have many receivers if Kittle stays out, so McKinnon's pass-down work should already be receiving a nice spike there. And his run game usage certainly has a room to go up to at least double-digit carries or so. Uh, you know, this week, I do think Mike Davis should be your number one preferred uh, waiver wire claim, but, you know, McKinnon is right there at the number two spot. I would prioritize McKinnon over any of these Giants running backs because at least with McKinnon, we know that we have Kyle Shanahan putting him in positions for success. Andrew, I'm sure you got some th- thoughts on this Giants backfield.
1: Yeah, it's a wild Giants backfield. You got Devontae Freeman now in the mix to go along with Deion Lewis and Wayne Gallman. So it's pretty hard to kind of digest to figure out who you want to go after. But Devontae Freeman seems like the option, you know, season long, long term. Again, you look at a guy like Leonard Fournette, you know, the first week that he was on the new team, he didn't really do that much. And then the second week, okay, now he got more involved. So It's the running back position. It's really easy to pick up the playbook. It's not super complicated. Devontae Freeman's been in the NFL for a while right now. So I think that Freeman's the the long-term play. I think Deion Lewis is still involved. If you need someone to start, you know, this week, if you're 0-2, like you need a guy to play. I think that Dean Lewis is probably your option. Again, he catches passes, which are more valuable than what Wayne Gallman can necessarily offer. So, and again, you're not harping to get the early down running back behind the Giants offensive line. That hasn't been great. But again, like you mentioned, the 49ers are dealing with a bunch of injuries. So we could see a more productive running game from the Giants. So I would order in, you know, Freeman Lewis and then Wayne Gallman. But looking at the receivers on the Giants as well, we have more injuries, you know, with Barkley out, with Sterling Shepard probably gonna miss as well. Darius Slayton seemingly made a deal with the devil to make sure that other receivers on the Giants get hurt so that he gets more <laughs> targets because that's what's going to happen once again. You know, I was fading Slayton this offseason because I figured guys would be back. That was wrong because now the guys are hurt again. So he's going to see, you know, a 20% plus target share once again. And there's no Richard Sherman. We've talked about the other injuries on the 49ers defense. And this defense last week gave up 12 receptions and 120 receiving yards to Chris Hogan and Braxton Barrios. So you need to start Darius Slayton because he offers a ton of upside. And I think that Golden Tate, you can start as well. You know, he posted five catch, 47 yards on five targets last week. And they the 49ers have not been good against slot receivers, even though they've given up an average of eight catches per game to slot to the slot position. So Golden Tate, I think, is a really good value in DFS cash lineups. You know, on DK, 4.5K, I think that's a really good value for a team I think it's a good deal. You know, the Giants throw at the highest rate of any team. 75% of their calls and plays are passing plays, and they just lost their workhorse running back. So I can't imagine they're like, hey, let's go back to the ground game. Let's pound it. I think they're just going to keep throwing it. And against this, you know, shaky 49ers defense, I feel like we could potentially see a Daniel Jones spike week.
0: Yeah, no, I like that call a lot, and he is my favorite kind of GPP play at the quarterback position. I think he's priced far too low. This is a potential smash spot injuries all over the place with San Francisco, and they got to go back out to the East Coast, man. I mean, I'm assuming they didn't stay out there for the week. I mean, that's just some funky scheduling to send them Jets back home, Giants back home, so unfortunate there, and yeah, I do think, uh, you know, pivoting off of the likely chalky Giants run game that, like, what has been good about that all year in favor of the passing game that we do know actually has some talent is the sharp move Uh, moving on Raiders at Patriots Patriots are sitting at sitting clean at six and a half point favorites over under is at 46 and a half 47 in some books so like Josh Jacobs is getting the Joe Mixon kind of fantasy rub where everyone's all max he didn't find the end zone he's not getting as many targets as we know they can handle but guys he got 30 freaking touches in the game all right this was great the Raiders competed with the Saints and that's fantastic because the big problem with the Raiders this year was looking at their schedule. It, did not, it didn't look like they were going to be competitive in all that many games. And we saw last season, you know, after that week one where Jacobs also looked good, played 70% plus snaps and multiple scores, you know, they lost their next two games by multiple touchdowns. And in those games, Jacobs couldn't even find the field for half of the offensive snaps. So we haven't faced that situation yet. And it looks like with this Raiders team, we might not be facing that situation as often as we did in 2019. So both Mixon and Jacobs particularly with these injuries. I mean, need to continue to be locked in as RB ones. They're going to find the end zone. It's annoying when they don't. And yeah, these guys could handle more pass game work, but people, you know, potential for 30 plus touches in any given week. There aren't many RBs in the league that have that continue to fire these guys up without hesitation in fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. Andrew, what you got on cam VP in the new England Patriots.
1: Dude, cam is just carrying every single fantasy team that I have. You just, averaging 30 points, you know, over 30 points per game, just scoring touchdowns like a madman, And he just, you know, the schedule is now shaping up to be even better. He's got a lot of plus matchups coming up. So if you have cam, like you are all set to go. And I like his receivers a lot in this spot, Harry and Edelman, you know, they're very condensed in the target share without a tight end of consequence without, you know, without James white as a running back, you know, catching passes. It's really been the Harry and Edelman show. And then when cam has to drop back, you know, 40 times a game, you know, get Demir bird gets involved. So, but and that's the thing with the running backs, it's trying to figure out which one of these running backs could smash because the Raiders are not good against the running back position. They've been beat up against that position, you know, through two weeks of the of the NFL season. Last night we saw them get basically wrecked by Alvin Kamara in the passing game. So you would think, okay, James White, you know, he would be a plug and play here guy if he's available. And I think that's a good. I think that's a good spot. I think James White could be productive in this matchup. Because of the fact that the Raiders have allowed the second most fantasy points to the running back position, which is stemming from receiving, allowed the most receiving yards and fourth most receptions to the running back so far this year. So I think that James White's really good play. Obviously, we need to figure out if he is going to be available based on him being inactive last week. But I can only imagine that Bill Belichick and the team would have something schemed up because I think that they were going into the Sunday night game against Seattle with something in mind for the pass catching game because Sony Michel barely played. They almost knew going in, hey, we're going to be playing from behind. We're not going to try to run the ball with Michelle. Like, let's just focus on using James White. But obviously, you know, at the last minute, he was inactive. And Burke had got the involvement in the passing game. So I think that James White's a really good spot here. And I think that if you're desperate, you can roll out Michelle. Hope he finds the end zone because they should be playing with a positive game script. But I don't feel great about it.
0: Yeah, Cam Newton has five of the Patriots' six carries inside the five-yard line this year. He owns the NFL record with 14 rushing touchdowns uh, from a quarterback set in his rookie season. He's got four through two weeks. Might be uh, coming for in the year 2020. I absolutely love it. Uh, Moving on. Bengals at eagles the eagles open up as five and a half point favorites that's up to six and a half over under us uh, 45 and a half up to 46 and a half you know just kind of mentioned this with uh you know my little rant on josh jacobs fantasy investors acting a little spoiled lately but i think it's the same thing with joe mixon and you know every week i send out a tweet that lists the running backs that play at least 70 percent of their offensive snaps in the previous game get an idea of who you know the real workhorses are joe mixon is almost never on that list he hasn't been on that list for the better part of the last two plus seasons and people are continuously shocked when he's not on that list because Giovanni Bernard has been souping up, you know, 30 40% snaps and some targets for the better part of the last decade. So, you know, Joe Mixon, again, the guy had 20 touches in a completely awful game script. I understand the Bengals aren't going to be a team leading all that often this season, but at the same time, he's Joe Mixon. He's been a borderline RB1 the last two years. That's what he's going to be when it's all said and done in 2020. It's not like Giovanni Bernard is going to, like, take his – job away or they, they paid the guy it's Joe Mixon he's fine continue to treat him as an RB1 you know I, I sent out a start sit tweet for the next podcast and people are kind of asking me like Joe Mixon or James Robinson people Joe Mixon is not leaving the starting lineup not even <laughs> if there's a fire keep him in there he's gonna score touchdowns there'll be better days be patient all right that's out of my system Andrew what you got in the Eagles
1: dude the Eagles I think it's a D-Jax game I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it right now D-John Jackson has improved You know, over week one and week two, he had more targets, more receiving yards, more catches. And I don't think enough buzz is being talked about him because he really hasn't hit that big game. He's kind of had modest production which is unusual for him because he's such a home run hitter but you look at his production over the first two weeks of the season he ranks sixth in total air yards and it's sixth in targets of 20 or more yards downfield again great indicators of future fantasy success and the eagles have a much easier matchup this week against the cincinnati Bengals. they are not you know playing a juggernaut Pass rush where Carson Wentz is going to have zero time to throw the ball. They actually have time to let plays develop downfield. And over the last two weeks, the Bengals have allowed seven passing targets of 20 yards or more, 125 point, you know, passer rating on throws ranked seventh highest in the NFL. So, again, part of that reason is because the Bengals can't generate a lot of pressure up front. So, quarterbacks can drop back, read, and let plays develop down the field. So, I think that it's going to be a Deshaun Jackson week. After all, you know, Wentz has targeted him 15 times over the last two weeks with a team leading nine in week
0: two. Wentz has been one of the worst quarterbacks just in the league these first two weeks of the season. I do not see that happening for all 16 games, and I am with you. If he's going to bust out, it will be with Deshaun Jackson. A quick shout out to our sponsors at Monkey Knife Fight before we continue on. All first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 in their accounts while using promo code PFF will receive a free. PFF Edge annual subscription. You can get my rankings, Andrew's rankings, all the stuff behind a good paywall there. Forty dollars value for just twenty dollars, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that twenty bucks into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA. And Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your twenty dollars with promo code PFF, and you'll receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Moving on to the Washington football team at the Cleveland Browns. We got the Brownies opened up as five and a half point favorites up to full seven points over under 45 and a half down to 44. Andrew, happy uh, Antonio Gibson season, man, because I think it's time. We can treat this dude as an RB2, I think, moving forward. Now, maybe the production's going to be a little sporadic. We are talking about the Washington offense, and, you know, they're facing a pretty good Browns D-line that, you know, Mixon was able to break some tackles with uh, in his opportunities, but, you know, maybe not the most ideal game for a true breakout, but, look, last week he played 67% of the offensive snaps, led the way with 13 carries, also had the backfields only two targets. Peyton Barber was on the field for only one carry. He's seemingly out of the picture. Maybe they activate Bryce Love. He's still sitting there. In the wings, but McKissick went down. Dude, I mean, I wouldn't even be shocked if McKissick's snap rate shrinks in a similar manner as Barber. He's just not giving them much right now. Gibson's the guy, and guess what? The way, the reason they're using, I'm sorry, they're using him as this pass down back, and because of that, it's fantastic because he's also getting the most carries. So no matter what the game script is, he should be fine. You know, we're looking at double-digit carries per week. I think these targets are going to settle in closer to five or six than the two or three we've seen so far. And right now, through two weeks, Gibson is the NFO's leader and force miss tackles per touch. Guys already making a ton of dudes miss. You know, I know fantasy analysts out there hate the broken tackle stats. And, you know, okay, I know you don't get fantasy points for, you know, breaking tackles, but they are the one of the best pieces of data we have for just on field, one-on-one, who's a beast and who's not performing. So when we're, you know, trying to project how someone's going to do with enhanced opportunities, I like seeing people that have, you know, been able to break a lot of tackles. That's why I was high on A.J. Brown going this season. That's why I was high on Deion. Johnson too and at least that one seems to be uh, working out a little bit so far so you know broken tackles I do like to follow them when they're going alongside a volume increase that is the case with Antonio Gibson if you know if the you know manager in your league that has Gibson doesn't quite realize this spike in usage get him now because I think uh, by this time next week worst case week four we're going to be talking about him as a locked in top 20 back almost every single week Andrew what you got in the Browns
1: Antonio Gibson certified beast so yes. the Cleveland Browns going to talk about Odell Beckham, very polarizing player, not just in the NFL, but you know, among all, all football things and all professional athletes. So he, he had a bounce back game last week, you know, he able to score a touchdown and as fantasy owners were freaking out because he couldn't put up points against the Baltimore Ravens who, you know, basically hold a lot of receivers to no fantasy points. So, but I digress. So the Washington football team has allowed the second highest deep pass percentage 30 over just over 30% to wide receivers lined up on the outside. Odo Beckham Jr. ranks 13th in total air yards and has a total of five deep passing targets when you account for plays negated by penalties, which is more than any other Browns players combined. So OBJ is the main deep threat, and Washington football team has faced a lot of deep passes from outside receivers. Then you factor in the fact that the Browns like to use play action with Kevin Stefanski. Washington's defense has faced the eighth most play action plays this year. And OBJ has been the highest targeted player on those play action throws and his average depth of target from Baker Mayfield on those throws has been second only to Josh Allen of the highest in the NFL. So I think that the Browns are going to use play action, try to slow down this Washington defensive front, and it's going to result in some big plays from OBJ.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's going to need the big plays and it's good that his you know, a dot is where it is because this is what Stefan Diggs needed to do last year to maintain his Fancy value in that run for Stefanski Slash Kubiak offense So far it seems like OBJ is pigeonholed For that Digs role so a little worried About Jarvis Landry but yeah it does look uh, At least a little better uh, this week than Did after week one for OBJ stands moving forward uh, we got the Los Angeles Rams traveling to Buffalo to take on The Bills uh, Bills open his three point Favorites down to two and a half over under 44 and a half is up to 47 And a half so with the Rams I want to talk About this backfield because Cam Akers dealing With a rib injury uh, was limited just three 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 snaps before leaving for the remainder of the game. All right. Sean McVay touche. I thought he was lying when he said they have three running backs in the off season. And, that uh, cause you know, his entire coaching career with the Rams, he's leaned on one guy. Well, you know, week one, Malcolm Brown was that guy leaned on, got the majority of touches and snaps, still got the majority of snaps in week two, but they did go ahead and give Henderson 42% snaps as well. He led the way with 12, tar- uh, 12 carries Henderson, excuse me, Brown only had 11 and then Henderson got the backfields only three targets and he looked pretty good doing so. I mean, he busted a nice run, showed some real burst. Uh, he looked, he looked plenty healthy and that was the issue after week one, McVay noted that Henderson wasn't healthy, but as he gets better, he'll be the guy moving forward. You know, acres has the rib injury and we got Brown playing through a fractured left pinky. It sounds like he's going to play through it. I think he's going to get, you know, his usual, uh, you know, double digit carries per game, but wouldn't be shocked at all if Henderson becomes the primary pass down back. And if we can get word that acres is out, we have shrunk the, you know, volatile three back committee to a more fancy friendly two back committee. And I think that uh, could really work this week. So, I'm still, you know, kind of pessimistic on either Brown or Henderson truly breaking out of this backfield. But just in terms of a week three start, I think Henderson, uh, you know, deserves to be up there in any sort of, you know, waiver claim scenario. So uh, it's, you know, been a pleasantly, I think a pleasant surprise with how well the Rams have been able to put up points as a whole. They're definitely turned to more of a run first offense, at least in week three. It looks like Henderson will be the guy to benefit the most from that. Andrew, who you got on the bills and why is it just talking about how Josh Allen is a god amongst men?
1: Yeah, Josh Allen, man, he is a God of months, man. But before we go to the Bills, I just want to make a comment about Daryl Henderson. I think that as well, he had a goal line carry in his game when Malcolm Brown was out, and he looked good. You know, he converted his one carry inside the five yard line, he actually broke two tackles on it and scored a touchdown. So he looked good at the goal line. So I think it's impressive to the coaches that he at least showed, hey, if Malcolm Brown you know, what if he has some issues with ball handling? You know, he has a hand injury. He has an injury to his pinky. Again, I'm not here analyzing how, you know, football players hold the ball, but if you have something wrong with your hand, that could, you know, negatively impact how you carry the ball. So if something like that happens in the game, something re-injured, Daryl Henderson would become the goal back as well. So you could combine that. So I think, again, I agree with you. He has the most upside out of, you know, a lot of these running backs you get off the waiver wire. But You know, we're talking about Darrell Henderson. He is no God. Josh Allen is a God. (laughs) And I'm going to just highlight his deep ball accuracy and passing attempts right now. So ranks number one in the league in deep ball completion, second in deep ball yards, and fourth in deep ball passer rating through the first two weeks of the season. But now he's met with a challenge because the Rams defense has allowed just one deep ball completion since the start of the season. So he's definitely facing a much tougher defense. Again, this isn't a, hey, don't play Josh Allen because it doesn't matter what he does with his arm necessarily. He's going to be able to make plays Whatever make up with it with his legs. But I think you may need to temper expectations a little bit for wide receiver Stephon Diggs and maybe look for an alternative to John Brown. Um Brown Brown has caught two touchdowns over the last two weeks, and the Rams are just one of four teams this season to yet to allow a touchdown to the wide receiver position. Cornerback Jalen Ramsey hasn't been traveling into the slot at all this year so far. And that's where Diggs, Diggs has seen at least half of his targets. So I don't think this is a shy away from Diggs because, hey, he can move into the slot and he can just take one up to the seam and then you're golden. But Brown, who mostly plays on the outside,
0: I think is going to see a lot more Ramsey. So I think I'd be trying to lean away from him. Yeah, man, I cannot get over just how good Stefan Diggs looks. And, you know, I, I didn't, I was kind of late coming around to him in this offseason, but the more I thought about, you know, Smokey Brown being the PPR wide receiver 20 last season, and, you know, Diggs just by all accounts being the better overall talent, as good as Smokey is in his own right, uh, definitely someone that we probably as an industry should have been a little bit higher on. All right, moving on to the Jets at the Colts. Colts opened up as seven point favorites. That has spiked up. To 10 and a 105 over-under has dropped uh, from 45 to 43.5. Man, this Jets offense, I'll try to uh, keep it brief. <laughs> Pretty much, if you're a slot receiver, maybe you can get some fantasy production. Otherwise, unless your quarterback is Peyton Manning, you're not going to do much with Adam Gase as your head coach. Crowder eight in week one, Braxton Berrios eight in you know week two. I mean, Darnold the touchdown he had to Berrios, which happened like with like a minute left in the fourth quarter, was like such a ridiculously good play by Darnold, and you see these flashes kind of once, and sometimes twice a week if he's really got it going, but uh, they're just so few and far between. But it's a shame, you know. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of smart people were so high on Darnold coming out, and you know whether or not he can eventually become you know the next latest and greatest post gay success story. Remains to be seen. I will not be fully giving up on Darnold until I see him play away from this Gase offense and with any semblance of pass catchers because they're just not doing anything for him right now. And with all these receivers' injuries, with Bell out, uh, you got Chris Herndon, who was just the talk of training camp. You guys know that because I wouldn't shut up about him for the better part of the month of August. And he's out there blocking on 36% of his passing snaps, which is a league-high mark among starting tight ends per field. Uh, Weekly friend of the show, almost Dwayne McFarlane, PFF Zone. Make sure you check out, check out his uh, utilization report on Wednesday. Always great stuff in there. So, yeah, I mean, we have a situation where the Jets were more willing to feed pretty much a guy coming up out of nowhere uh, in Barrios, And then Chris Hogan, who's been on the team for, what, two or three months over the guy that, you know, seemed like the next big thing at the tight end position as recently as 2018. I'm not bitter, you know, it's whatever. I'm not, I'm not mad at all. I haven't lost hours of sleep over this. It's all good, everyone. I'm not mad. You're mad. Oh, my gosh. That's enough talk about the Jets. Andrew, let's lighten things up with some talk on Jonathan Taylor and the Colts.
1: Yeah, I think Sam Darnold just goes home after, you know, every game and just watches Ryan Tannehill highlights just so he knows, <laughs> hey, there's always a hope, man. It can happen. Always got a, it can happen, He's got Sam. a shot. <laughs> All right. So the Colts are without Paris Campbell, and that really sucks because Paris Campbell was a lot of – I mean, we were high on him. He, we had him as a sleeper over at PFF. A lot of people had him as a sleeper. So it's really disappointing to see him, you know – Banged out for the rest of the season. That's going to open up opportunities for Zach Pascal, potentially. He's the guy that took over in the slot. He caught a touchdown. He saw an eighty percent snap share from the slot. But I think it's noteworthy as well that Hilton has seen a decent amount of action from the slot as well. Five targets, forty percent target rate on routes run, and an average depth of target of fifteen point eight from the slot. So I do think that with this Jets secondary, that's not very good that it could be T.Y. Hilton and Phillip Rivers that kind of finally connect on some of these deep shots, you know, whether it's T.Y. lining up in the slot and kind of going deep. So I think that, again, they're going to probably mix some guys in there, and they could even mix in Mo Alley-Cox, because Jordan Reed absolutely ate out of the slot. He cut both of his touchdowns against the Jets in the slot. So I think that, you know, paying attention and figuring out, okay, who who's that guy going to be in the slot for the Colts, I think it's going to pay off.
0: Yeah, you know, if Jack Doyle stays sidelined, maybe Mo'Ally Cox can keep doing his thing. But otherwise, I think T.Y. Hilton's going to be the only consistent, uh, fancy, viable guy in this passing game now that Paris Campbell is unfortunately on IR and out indefinitely. Moving on, we've got the Carolina Panthers traveling to L.A. to take on the Chargers. Chargers opened up six-and-a-half-point favorites up to seven, over-under is down to 43-and-a-half. Christian McCaffrey out four to six weeks with his high ankle sprain. Certainly sucks. You know, fantasy investors, just fans of the game. Always more fun to watch McCaffrey out there looking like it could be something resembling the Mike Davis show and I'm going on record with him as my preferred uh, number one waiver wire pickup this week. Not, I mean, look, I've never been a believer in spending, you know, 50% plus fab on anyone, but if you are going to splurge on someone, I think it should be Davis because, you know, we mentioned that giant situation and how that's more than likely at least this week and probably moving forward going to be a committee of sorts. I mean, at a minimum Dion Lewis is siphoning away pass down work from whoever uh, among Gallman or Freeman gets that early down work. we no, San Francisco could be a committee. I mean, most doesn't even seem to be out all that long. We'll see what McKinnon can give us in the meantime. Mike Davis, you know, I think it's the only guy in these backfields that has a real chance to have a three down roll for the better part of the next month. And, you know, you look at what he did last week, eight catches, caught all eight of the targets for 74 yards. He can be the pass down guy. And, you know, Reggie bonifon it's not, I don't think it's a situation where Davis is being treated as, you know, the scat back. It's not a Dion Lewis situation where they're saving Bonifon potentially to come in and be the early down guy. They Davis won that job in training camp. Matt Rule talked him up as one of the best players in training camp, and it's been nothing but good things since so. Bonifant will be active. Again, I don't, you know, if I had to project this, project the snap splits, I mean, I don't think Davis is going to take that McCaffrey role. He's not McCaffrey. few people are McCaffrey. We shouldn't expect them to get that role, but, uh, you know, Bonifant 20, 30% snaps, Curtis Samuel is going to chip in and get a handful of, of uh, running back snaps. It should be more than a handful, but that's a story for another day. And I think Davis, we're looking at him having 50, 60% snaps, and it could just be a lot more. I mean, maybe they do put him in that McCaffrey role. If anyone's going to get it, it's him. He seems to have the pass down work i think out of all these running backs that you're gonna want the waiver wire mike davis can give you the highest upside over the next four weeks andrew do you agree that mike davis should be the number one uh waiver priority and after that him with the chargers
1: no i do not agree that mike davis should be the number <gasps> one waiver wire priority i get the our lore the opportunity should be there for him but i'm just not sure mike davis is good <laughs> that's oh. that's that's the only thing with him we saw him flash last year with the bears you know, he came out week one, played ahead of Montgomery, played ahead of Tariq Cohen, and then he just kind of like fell off the face of the earth. And I wasn't really sure what happened after. And he did kind of the same thing in Seattle. He like produced and then he kind of fell off again. So I'm just concerned if he comes out in, in week three and doesn't play well. OK, well, what do we have now? So I, I'm going after more upside guys, in my opinion. I think Daryl Henderson just plays in a better offense. So that's kind of, you know, where I'm leaning,
0: but okay. Th- hold on. Hold on. That's fair. I, I thought Henderson like wasn't even really on the radar. I thought he was owned in most leagues. If, if you want to go Henderson, particularly week three, absolutely. If you're able, you're just looking for the one week fill in. I will say I like Mike Davis's highlights at Seattle, so I'm not going to let you up <laughs> that easily. I do think that at least the Panthers think he's good. But yes, okay. I So we can at least agree on that you should not be spending, you know, 50% plus fab on any of these guys for the most part because th- there's there's uncertainty for everyone, even if Davis might have the higher ceiling. So good talk. Now hit with the Chargers.
1: <laughs> so if this guy's available, I think that he probably deserves the most is Joshua Kelly. So I know that he's probably available in a lot of – in some maybe some home leagues here and there, but I mean, you look at his usage over the last two weeks. He's seen the majority of touches and carries. He's seeing all of the goal line work, six to one in terms of carries inside the ten yard line compared to Austin Eckler. And if you have Austin Eckler, I would be trying to to move him honestly because Joshua Kelly's not going away, and. You have Tyrod Taylor potentially coming back, and we saw him not target the running back position at all. We saw Justin Herbert target the running back position. So there's a lot of moving pieces, and it just seems like you may be better off trading Austin Eckler. Now he's got a really good matchup against the Panthers. You can kind of use that as a selling point where you're talking about, hey, because I know a lot of people will try to trade them after the great matchup, but that usually doesn't work because people are smart enough to realize, oh, he just played a really good team, and now he has a really bad matchup. So I don't want this player anymore. And there's a chance in this game where... I mean, Joshua Kelly could go out and score two touchdowns, have 100 rushing yards, and then you're left with Austin Eckler, who doesn't score as many fantasy points in this game because let's say the Chargers are up. I mean, they're favored, so that could be a real concern for Austin Eckler owners because your trade window may just bottom out if Joshua Kelly outscores Austin Eckler this week.
0: It's a great spot for both backs. I mean, I I think the okay. I'm I'm not expecting Eckler to provide you know consistent RB one value necessarily moving forward. They're just not using him enough as a pure receiver. They've cut his uh, snap rate and slaughter out wide in half. But I would just say before we go all in on Kelly and hey, he's looked great. I think he's earned this role. But let's just remember Justin Jackson has been out with that quad injury. You know I you know would limit the exposure particularly in DFS if Justin Jackson gets back. Jackson's been really good for them over the years. I just wouldn't be shocked if they uh, give. Of him some of that early down work he was getting in week one, but yeah, again for week three only, you know Kelly's another guy with Henderson. I just didn't wasn't really considering as much because I think he's owned in most leagues already. But I love pivoting off of Mike Davis and DFS tournaments at 5100 in favor of Kelly at 5000. Maybe the ownership on Kelly will be higher than I'm expecting, but I think uh, that could be the GPP play there. All right. Now we have the Cowboys at the Seahawks over unders holding steady at a just huge 55 and a half points. Seahawks open three and a half now up to four and a half this Cowboys passing game. I mean, you know, I, I watched that entire game, you know, live in a uh, week two. And I must say, I really never thought the Cowboys were out of it. I think that's the uh, amount of respect I have for, you know, Dak and just this team in general, they can put up points with the best of them. And yeah, they have these stretches where they put the ball on the ground four times in the first 11 minutes of that game. I mean, just Incompetency uh, just that shouldn't be happening from an offense that good at times, too bundled fake punts like what is going on found a way to win it and we're seeing what happens when you have Dak and this bad defense and a pass happy offense to go along with it and it's mostly fantasy goodness I mean through two weeks Amari Cooper 23 targets CeeDee Lamb's there at 15 Dalton Schultz is all the way up at 14 randomly uh, Zeke's at 11 without old man Witten taking the underneath stuff and Michael Gallup's sitting down there at 10 but they've been up more of the fantasy friendly variety so I think Gallup's gonna you know gain on Lamb a little bit with those numbers but maybe not this week man because again in, we're just breaking down the cornerback matchups and C.D. Lamb has the uh, best spot from the cozy confines of the slot against the Seattle defense that, you know, Quentin Dunbar and uh, Griffin on the outside to the league's better corners. And per PFF last year, those were top 15 corners. We saw Dunbar with that great pick on Sunday night. I love Jamal Adams. I've been, you know, team Jamal Adams, number one safety in the league. But let's face it, you know, he struggled when trying to guard Edelman in the slot in that game. I think you put CD out there and try to do the same thing, it could be the same result. So, uh, CD Lamb, another good matchup. He's, you know, truly, if he's not already, if you're not already treating him as, you know, an upside wide receiver three, you should be. And he's just slowly but surely starting to approach that, you know, top 30 status. So, we'll, we'll see where the rankings end up falling. I haven't uh, finalized mine just yet, but CD Lamb quickly, quickly rising up the ranks. Andrew, what's up with uh, Russ and the Seahawks?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's really not much to say, you know, they are really good. I guess th- we'll start with that. <laughs> <laughs> you, I know you mentioned that DK Metcalf is basically untouchable. You can't, you can't bench this guy. It doesn't matter. He's matchup proof. I think is yeah. think is what you said. Correct. So Metcalf Lockett, you know, they're in your lineups. There's really no- nothing really discussed there. And it doesn't even matter how much they pass because Russell Wilson is just so efficient It doesn't matter if they throw 18 times a game or 40 times a game. It just doesn't really matter because there's a way that they just, you know, are going to produce. But I will say for this game in particular, if you're looking at it from a DFS standpoint, I think that Chris Carson maybe is overlooked potentially just looking at the fact that people want to stack all of the receivers. And we saw last week that didn't really work. You know, we saw Dak Prescott score three of the touchdowns. So you were kind of left dead in the water. Sometimes you had Gallup or Lamp, because then there was no touchdowns between those guys. It was Schultz that, that caught the only touchdown from Dak Prescott. So, and Chris Carson actually leads the team in touchdown receptions, which is, you know, kind of crazy to even kind of bring up, but he's really being heavily involved in the passing game. He has nine targets, which ranks third on the team and he's ranks fourth in total routes run. He's only behind those two star receivers and Greg Olson. So I think Chris Carson is definitely potentially going to be the underrated player in this matchup from a DFS perspective. And I think also, you know, the Cowboys have actually faced teams that have run the ball on them a lot. Um, They've, faced teams that throw at the sixth lowest rate 52 point or right around 53%. So again, any invitation to run the ball is usually a invitation that Pete Carroll's probably going (laughs) to accept. So I'm going to be looking at Carson as a potential pivot off some of these more chalky receivers.
0: Yeah, in week one, we saw DJ Dallas is inactive, so check mark, you know, the Chris Carson pass down box. And in week two, we saw that, you know, the really kind of close carry split in week one, probably more of an anomaly, you know, check that box is early down back. Chris Carson, RB one moving forward, absolutely. All right, we got the Lions visiting the Cardinals. Arizona opened up as three and a half point favorites. That's gone up to five and a half. The over owners up from 51 to 54 and a half. So this Lions offense, which was so fun last year, and you know to their credit, they're a drop ball away from being one and one. But it's just not the same unit, man. It it makes sense if it's because Kenny Galladay's been out with his hamstring injury. He's uh, tentatively expected to be back this week. But Stafford went from having a league-high 19.2% deep ball rate. That's, you know, passes uh, thrown 20-plus yards downfield per attempts. And in 2020, he's now at 10.7%, nearly half, sinking down to 16th in the league. This is why Stafford was all of a sudden this really high-end fantasy quarterback last year. He had a gunslinger mentality, bad defense, shooter after shootout thrown, do is baller outside wide receivers, but you take away Galladay, it's changed the entire demeanor of this offense, and we're just not seeing the same upside. So maybe if we had Patricia and you know the offensive staff out there going out and you know really enabling their other options, we could have uh, confidence in a bounce back spot. But you know when T.J. Hawkinson is caught all nine targets thrown to him for 118 yards and a score yet the dude's playing 69% snaps while Jesse James is siphoning away 51%. I just don't understand it, man. He's clearly their, If not their best receiver, their number two behind Marvin, he's looked like their best player, honestly, at times uh, over the past, you know, season plus two games, particularly in 2020. So it's a shame with Hawkinson. He's one of the more talented young tight ends in the league. And this should be a situation where he can get more targets, but guess what, man? Like they're not going to go up once Galladay comes back. If anything, could be even rougher so unfortunate you know not the first time we've seen stafford not able to enable you know a fancy friendly tight end you go back to the eric ebron days but you know it's just unfortunate i know a lot of people predicting the uh, year two hawkinson breakout i think his talent's ready for it we'll see if they can get him the volume in the future but it's not looking good now andrew what's up with uh Murray and company
1: dude but it's it's tj hawkinson versus the arizona cardinals this,
0: is, this was the breakout game last year. This has hey, to he's, be it. He's going to have an awesome four or five targets probably. I wish it was 10. <laughs> uh, we can only dream. Hopefully, Matt
1: Patricia will listen to the podcast <laughs> So when it comes to the Cardinals... You've obviously got Kyler Murray who's just lighting up the world with his legs. And this was something Cliff Kingsbury talked about in the offseason. He was like, hey, when when Kyler runs, our offense is way better. And that's exactly what they've been doing the past two weeks. So they've been winning games. And so I expect Kyler Murray to keep on running. And that's kind of at a detriment of Kenyon Drake, because Drake's not seeing and scoring touchdowns because Kyler Murray's taking them all away. So that was one of my concerns about Drake moving forward with Kyler Murray. And it's also kind of like Bring in the Cam Newton factor with the, some of the Patriots running backs with those mobile quarterbacks. But the one receiver I want to talk about is Christian Kirk, who got more involved in Week 2 You know, after seeing basically one catch for zero yards in the first game. But again, he's running a lot of routes. He's playing in this high-powered offense, and he's their deep threat. He's been the guy that's been seeing all the downfield targets. Um, so in Week 2, he converted four of his targets into two receptions for 57 yards. He now ranks third in the NFL in total targets of 20 or more yards downfield. And he gets the juiciest matchup against this beat up Lions secondary who's allowed the most deep passing attempts of over 20 yards this season. So I love Christian Kirk in tournaments this week for DFS. And you think he's a great buy low candidate? Again, this is a really high powered offense. They run so many plays, and Christian Kirk is the only way you can get any piece of this offense that's really, really cheap.
0: Yeah, Kirk and uh, shout out Andy Isabella each had nice long receptions, all perfectly placed deep balls from Kyler. Very fun offense to watch this season. we got three more matchups. Want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor Underdog Fantasy though before we get on to those. If you like fantasy football, you need to be playing on Underdog Fantasy. It's my favorite new fantasy football app. Awesome for best ball and continuing to be so through the season. Website and app are super slick and by far the best experience out there. Do snake draft games for real money every week. You draft a new team every week and get a shot at big prizes. No lineup setting, waiver wires, or bad trades to deal with. It's DFS people. It is fantastic. The team that built the app is top-notch customer support is best in the game constantly updating and adding new features look up underdog fantasy on your app store or go to underdogfantasy.com to play today make sure make your first deposit and don't don't forget to use code pff after you do let them know that i sent you all right, Buccaneers at Broncos. Tampa Bay up to minus six after opening as three-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, over-unders of 40-and-a-half is down to 43. Excuse me, 44-and-a-half opened down to 43. Uh, talking this Tampa Bay backfield, though, it was the Leonard Fournette show in Week 2, which, you know, naturally after Bruce Arians said that nothing was really going to change, we did see it change a little bit. But that's just life in this backfield and, you know, staying true to his character. Arians has gone out and said again that he does not plan on shuffling his RB really rotation. And I don't think he's lying. I think this is pretty much what we're going to see here until he just gets the David Johnson-esque talent that he thinks he just never has to take off the field. But I don't think that's how they view Fournette. I don't think that's how they view Rojo or McCoy. I think we're pretty much looking at a mere replica of 2019, except Shady might play a little bit less than Dari did, which is fine because this offense is moving the ball well. They're more down to lead on the run game. You know, we saw that last week against the Panthers, just horrific run defense. Fournette, you know, really helped put that game Away at the end. But you know, it's I'm I I can't trust either of these guys as top 20 options yet because we just have an entire season of evidence last year that as good as one guy can look one week, it can go the other way the next. We have that evidence in this year. Ronald Jones looked like the better running back in week one, and then Fournette looked like the better running back in week two. I don't think I, you know, it's we can assume that Fournette's necessarily going to be the guy consistent guy moving forward. You know, 10 to 15 touches per week inside of a Tom Brady-led offense. There are certainly worse fancy roles. I'm just just hesitant, assuming that either Fournette or Rojo has that sort of workload uh, already. You know, I, I, OK, in season long, I get it. You probably got to throw these guys out there in the flex spot at this point. But, you know, in DFS, seeing Fournette at 6,200 and Rojo at 5,000 after just one week of this. Miss me with that. Uh, what, what you got on the Broncos?
1: Yeah, the Broncos don't have many guys left. To be honest, we lost Drew Locke. We lost Cortland Sutton, who was one of my guys entering the year, so that, that one really sucked, See, so getting the notification that he was officially put on injured reserve, which is just really unfortunate. But we got to move on, and I think that this Broncos offense has a chance to actually be kind of exciting in a weird kind of way. You have Jeff Driscoll, who is a guy who can make plays off script, which is something we really like for fantasy football because he can move a little bit. And I think that we're going to see him air the ball out because what else does he have to do besides, you know, they got to win games, but he wants to, you know, he might have a little degaff to him. And the reason I say that is because when Pat Shermer came in as the offensive coordinator, I, I projected that the Broncos would throw more downfield. We saw that a lot in the first two weeks. I mean, just last week alone, They had three receivers rank inside the top 17 players in total air yards. They had three guys with over hundred air yards, Cortland Sutton, who was in and out of the lineup because he was getting hurt in the entire game, Jerry Judy and rookie rookie Jerry Judy and rookie KJ Hamler. So we had a bunch of rookies already seeing a ton of action, you know, air balls all over the field. And you also had Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton both see three targets of over 20 more yards. So, I think that this team is going to try to stay competitive by just being aggressive downfield. And I think that KJ Hamler is someone that's really interesting to me kind of moving forward because of the way that he is that speed threat. Like that's his game is being a vertical threat. And he was really showing up at training camp before he got hurt with a hamstring injury. So obviously people are going to be harping to Judy this week because Sutton is out, but I don't love the matchup if he's going to be lining up in the slot. Uh, the Bucks have been really good against slot receivers the first two weeks of the year. You know, Emmanuel Sanders and Curtis Samuel basically combined for four catches against them, whereas last week we saw DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson do a ton of damage from the outside. So I think that, you know, if they move Hamler outside more, even though that's different from what he was in college, I mean, he only played 50% of the snaps from the slot in week two. So it's going to shake out how it's going to shake out. But I think that this Broncos receiving core has a little bit more upside and Noah Fan is just going to be the guy that eats the
0: most. Yeah, Driscoll joins uh, Matthew Stafford and, you know, everyone's favorite fantasy QB, Jameis Winston, only guys with a 10-plus yard average target depth over the past two seasons. He's not your typical, you know, Dink and Doug quarterback. I think these guys, are, you know, these receivers, as you said, Judy and Hamler, are going to be able to you know put up as much, if not more uh, fantasy production than they might have had with Drew Locke under there. So not expecting the Broncos to become this, you know, rollover and quit type team anytime soon. All right, Sunday Night Football, we got the Green Bay Packers at the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Saints have... Opened at six and a half down to three and a half. Wouldn't be shocked if that sinks even further as the week progresses. The over under is down a hair from 52 to 51 and a half. Look, I mean, this, Packers passing game. Last week wasn't quite as good as week one. I think we had higher expectations facing that banged up line secondary, but Rodgers just continues to look as good as ever. And I mean, look, the Packers are one of only seven teams with at least six drops through two weeks. MBS has had a couple really big ones. Both of Rodgers tight ends dropped. I think Tanya dropped a touchdown. Sternberger dropped one that could have been 20 plus yards. So he's not getting a ton of help from guys not named Devontae Adams and it doesn't matter. And the reason why people like myself were down on Rodgers as a fantasy quarterback this year was because we hadn't seen the 2010 to 2014 a little bit of 2015 just world beater and efficiency return I mean this guy last five years has averaged 8.1 adjusted yards per attempt after pretty much breaking records averaging you know 9 even 10 uh, adjusted yards per attempt one season just ridiculous he's at 9.8 this year even though they didn't change anything in the coaching staff they didn't add any receivers Aaron Rodgers has just taken this revenge fu storyline from the whole Jordan Love thing and running with it so I guess maybe he's going to do this for the entire season. Now, I think we'll see a little bit of regression. I don't think the Saints defense is quite as bad as they uh, look, you know, against the Raiders on Monday night. Still a defense with plenty of talent, you know, at all three levels of the field. But, you know, Rodgers, he's playing like he played five to ten years ago. It's absolutely wild to see. But, you know, hats off to him. He's doing his thing. And while he continues doing it, we got to take long looks at MBS and Alan Lazard as weekly. Higher upside, you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver four off options, particularly at this Devontae Adams hamstring injury tend, uh, ends up being an issue but it sounds like he'll luckily be out there Andrew what's up with the Saints
1: yeah it's the traquan Smith show he really impressed on Monday night football and the, I like the way that the, he he was used he was basically playing the Michael Thomas role playing that ex receiver because you looked at his a dot you know he's been traditionally a deep threat player where basically it was hey if Ted Ginn is out you can play traquan Smith he's gonna you know be that deep threat guy but Right now, I mean, you don't want to be the deep threat guy for Drew Brees. That's that's the last. That's really the last thing you want. Which is kind of why I was slightly hesitant to buying into Trayvon Smith. You know, when we first found out about the Michael Thomas news, I was like, oh no, I don't want this pigeonhole deep threat with a guy who has a deteriorating arm. That's the last thing I want. But his A dot was right on par with Michael Thomas as was well in Week One, so right around nine, and they they both saw the same amount of snap slots. So I like that they were using him in that fashion. And I think that's really what they're going to do going forward. You know, he looked good after the catch. He, you know, averaged seven yards after the catch and he ranked fourth highest among receivers with at least two, you know, with seven targets. So I definitely liked that from Chayquan Smith. So I think that he's a player that if he's on your waiver wire still, I think that he's someone that's really worth investing into while we wait for Michael Thomas to return. And again, just because Michael Thomas comes back, you know, we see these players come back from these injuries and they really push it. And sometimes they they don't, they're not 100%. We saw it with Kamara last year, you know, with these lower body injuries, it's really hard for guys to just come back and be the same players they were. I'm not saying that Thomas can't be his same self, but, you know, he's at a higher risk for re-injuring. And, and in that case, it would be Traecon Smith that would take on that big role. So I really like Trayvon Smith.
0: Yeah, he really did impress after the catch. You know, going in, I I wasn't I was more team Manny over team Traquan just because Traquan's had more or less a starting spot in this offense for the last two three years and just hasn't really done much of anything with it. He flashes every once in a while, but even then, it's more just kind of broken play type stuff. So that to me, that was the best game I've ever seen from him. You know, all the kudos in the world to Traquan. Probably do need to adjust. You know, move him ahead of Manny Sanders, move him forward for however long Michael Thomas remains sidelined. Monday Night Football, great matchup here, Kansas. City Chiefs at the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Ravens opened up two and a half that is up to three and a half. So uh, obviously, you know, Mahomes. He, he had the chargers game. I, I get it. He doesn't have uh, great games against the chargers, but you know, obviously you're starting him Clyde over to Laird, even in a game without the positive game script, we saw the targets. So that's great. He's out there. The question is, you know, you got those two guys and Tyreek and Kelsey are never leaving starting lineups, but is there anyone behind them that we can trust? Because in one of the league's best offenses, you would hope this would be a situation where, you know, more than two receivers could be consistent fantasy options. It just, doesn't seem that way but maybe 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 Sammy Watkins is injured and if he's out we're gonna need the monitor injury participation you know we haven't gotten a lot of word on it just yet but If he's out, this is the moment that Miko Hardman, truthers, such as myself, have been waiting for. I believe he is the only real, like, quote-unquote, handcuffed wide receiver in the league. If any of Tyreek, you know, Demarcus Robinson, or Sammy go down, is out there. I mean, we saw when he was out there, even in the second half uh, last week, Mahomes looks for him when he's out there, and they make plays when he looks for him. It's not like we have evidence of Miko just going out there and being ineffective with his opportunities. He's been great with all the opportunities, he just can't get a bunch of them. So, if we remove We've received from the equation bump the opportunities up to five or eight. I think we could be again looking at a Mecole Hardman season, uh, even though we you know had to end it after week one. So it's a situation where Walken's now being injured. We already saw him come back to earth after his you know usual week one explosion. Uh, I would be very cautious about going back to Sammy at less than 100% in this tough matchup as it is. If Sammy is out though, I think that's when we could potentially get on the Mecole Hardman train. I believe Miko actually had like a. 80 90 yard touchdown against the Ravens last year. If you're into a narrative street with that, so Andrew, what's up with uh, Lamar Jackson and company?
1: Yeah, Nicole Hardman. It's the complete opposite of Demarcus Robinson. You got Nicole Hartman, limited opportunities, super efficient, where you have Demarcus Robinson who gets all the opportunities uh, in the world and can't do uh, anything with them. I don't know if he's just patrick Mahomes' best friend i don't really know how that works maybe because their lockers aren't even that much closer to each other because i think they all (laughs) were in the teens so i don't know what's going on that's some next
0: level research with the lockers (laughs) right there
1: hey man brady and edelman they were just like super in sync all the time because and yeah so (laughs) but the ravens marquise brown i think is primed for a bounce back spot here you know he's quiet in week two again after playing really well against the cleveland browns but the Chiefs, again, are another team that's really susceptible against deep balls. Um, so they face the most deep ball attempts to opposing by receivers since the start of the season. And four of four of Lamar Jackson's five deep passing attempts have been to Brown to the start of the season. So, again, I think that Marquise Brown is in a good spot here to kind of flash his speed. You know, you have him, you have Tyreek Keel. I think that he's going to want to pound his chest a little bit and be like, hey, man, I got speed, too. So I like Marquise Brown in this matchup. And then with the running back position, which is going to change every week. And I guess Greg Roman told us that this was going to happen. He said, hey, I'm going to change the running backs every week. So I guess maybe we should just kind of go every other. So week one was Dobbins, week two is Ingram. Now it's time to go back to Dobbins. That seems like the best move. So, I mean, last time these teams played, Mark Ingram had a season high in receptions. And I just think that this is a game where we could potentially see the Ravens not be playing with a lead. That has really not happened really frequently at all. I mean, basically, since Lamar Jackson took over, you know, since he's been the quarterback in 2019, it seems like 90% of their games, they play with leads. So we haven't really been able to see this passing attack in in catch-up mode. And I think that this would be a game where especially the Chiefs kind of coming off a poor offensive performance, they really want to come out and put up points on the board. So I think that J.K. Dobbins could we could finally see him used as a pass catcher just a little bit more, whether it's like how they use Justice Hill when they were losing against the Titans or like I mentioned before, when they played the Chiefs last time, Mark Ingram had a season high in receptions. He had four catches. So I think that this is a spot where you can play Dobbins um, and I think he's going to produce.
0: It's just, you know, it's tough there because we got Gus Edwards siphoning off, you know, potentially close to double-digit carries himself. And guess what? Like, Gus is number two in the league, league right now in yards after contact per attempt. I mean, he's been graved with his opportunities. We all want Ingram and Dobbins to be that guy. I think they deserve to be that guy, and they will, uh, you know, I think get ahead of Gus eventually, but truly, three, not two, three very good running backs in Baltimore. Things you hate to see in fantasy. All right, everyone, that's going to do it. We have gone through all 16 games. Looks like we made it just under an hour which is good to see that is always the goal for you andrew what you got on the uh, content schedule this week
1: yeah i got a lot of stuff coming out got a buy low article coming out today got some starm sit got a full game preview full week preview coming out and then some dfs picks on saturday so stay tuned guys all every day there's new content coming out on the site
0: Boom. Make sure you go follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Hardis bringing you this lovely show five times a week, Monday through Friday. We've got recapping the night games. Then we got our 16-game breakdown, which you just heard. And then we'll have a start setting some DFS questions coming up on Thursday. So thank you again for tuning in and take care, everyone. Until next time.